Turn in your Bibles to the fifth chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 5. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to dare you to be a certain way for the rest of your life. The Lord challenges us. The Lord dares us by giving us some examples in the Bible that should provoke us to want to be like them. Now you know in that fifth chapter of Genesis we have a long string of men who lived a certain number of years, then they would beget their firstborn son, then they would live a number of years and they would die. But there's a special man in Genesis chapter 5. Are there any men, are there any women today in this assembly that want to be like Enoch? Genesis 5, verse 21. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred, sixty, and five years. And Enoch walked with God. Amen. And he was not. Amen. For God took him. Amen. Amen and amen. That is the word of the Lord. There was a man. This is not some fable, some short fable to intrigue your mind. Not some short fable to give you an example. This truly occurred. This is history. This is the history our children need to know. Far more than any other history, which they will never use, never remember, and never profit from. This history can profit their souls. And we need to know that there was a man named Enoch. And he walked with God. How long did he walk with God? 300 years. Now, sometimes we feel good if we, walked with God, if we walk with God for a month. He walked with God for 300 years. Did he have a sin nature? Yep. Yes, he did. Was he subject to like passions as we are? Amen. Yes, he was. Did he yet walk with God? Amen. Did he know of Jesus Christ as you know of him? No. Did he have the presence of the Holy Spirit like you have him? I hope not. No. And he walked with God. The world wants to know what subdivision you're going to end up living in. The world wants to know where you're going to send your children to school. If it's going to be an Ivy League school or something less than that or something less than that, always measuring us by false standards of accomplishment in in life. This is an accomplishment. What a glorious accomplishment to walk with God. Can I challenge your souls today to want to walk with God? It's done privately, and it's a personal relationship between you and God, and I want to describe it this morning to you. But my main goal is, with the help of God, the Holy Spirit, that you will leave this place wanting to do it, because I don't think it's the how that's important. I think it's the doing of it. I think it's reorganizing your priorities and setting your affection on those things that count, Amen. rather than worrying about all the things that don't count. Right. It's not me telling you a bunch of hows. 
It's you repenting right now as you hear it and realize, I haven't really walked with God. He is a minor part of my life. He's not a major part of my life. I want him to be your life. And the Lord wants him to be your life, himself to be your life. Don't forget that. In the midst of that genealogy, we have a very special man. His name was Enoch. I remember a couple of years ago at at a dinner table at the Crosby house, I asked my children their favorite Bible character. And when one of my sons, and I remember which son it was, and one of my sons said it was Enoch, what do you think that does to a father? Amen. A father loves to hear that. I want to hear that more than the man who killed Goliath. I want to hear that more than the man who stopped the sun. I want to hear that more than the man who drove his chariot furiously even though I like all three of those men, I want to hear about the man that walked with God. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, and let's get a little New Testament commentary on our man Enoch. What a great example we have in Enoch. At 65 years of age, he had his first son, and from there he walked 300 more years with God. And he was not. Amen. He just disappeared. I would love to get a call from a wife in here, frantic in her unbelief. My husband was in bed, and then he wasn't in bed. He was, and then he wasn't. And to be able to say, the Lord took him. Wouldn't that be great? Body, soul, and spirit. One other man got that ride. That was Elijah. Wouldn't that be great? I know you're smiling at me, and I don't, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I want you to see that this is a real act of history. God took him. You say, well, God doesn't do things like that anymore. I believe God can do greater things. And I'll be soon preaching on three chapters of the Bible, John 14, 15, and 16, where he said that we'll do greater things than have ever been seen by his Spirit. He can leave you here and do greater things than taking Enoch. Because for you to walk with God and to have your soul satisfied with marrow and fatness here is greater than taking you to heaven. As far as an accomplishment. (laughs) Because how often does that happen? where a man really walks with God and has a satisfied soul. It's rare. It's hard. He can do great things here. And he's never promised that he wouldn't do it again. He's never said that he couldn't do it again, just like he did with Enoch. But in Hebrews 11 and verse 5, here we have one sentence about our brother Enoch. And he's worshiping with us this morning according to Hebrews chapter 12, the very next chapter, for we are brought into union with the spirits of just men made perfect. So therefore I call him Brother Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's not a difficult verse to understand, is it? This man didn't have to die. This man was taken straight to heaven. The New Testament calls it being translated. We're said that he did it by faith. And we're told that he had a testimony. 
He pleased God. That's God's testimony of him. He pleased God. The goal this morning for you and for me is to please God and to please God so much that it can be described as walking with God. But I want you to notice the context and the location and the situation of this fifth verse about Enoch. There is a verse that we are all very familiar with, that we love and that we quote, and that should be the basis for our lives. And I want you to notice how it is worked by the Spirit of God right up next to and jam-packed together with that fifth verse, and it's Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Why isn't Hebrews 11 and verse 6 over after verse 32 where it describes David, Samuel, Barak, Gideon, and Jephthah? Why is it stuck right there after verse 5 and before verse 7? Because in verse 5 and verse 7, we have the two men in the Word of God that are said to have walked with God. Right there. And in between them, we're told how it's done. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, why would we have those words, to please Him? Because verse 5 just told us what Enoch's testimony was. He pleased God. So how do we please God? By living by faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For, and here's faith, He that cometh to God. Now notice, we've got someone coming to God. This sounds like Psalm 63. This is all simple. It's all very simple. Are there any men in the earth, any women, any children, who really want to seek the Lord? Who want to go after Him and find Him? Who want to find Him and go for a walk with Him? He that cometh to God. So we've got some, we've got some people under consideration here in this sixth verse that are coming to God. He that cometh to God must believe two things. And I've taught these many times, but I hope you get them in a new way. Because the Lord can make all things new. He must believe that He is. Do you really believe there's a God? Amen. Now, if you tell me that you believe there's a God, I am not impressed. Most of the world will say there's a God. Do you live like you believe he exists because if you really believe that God exists you are going to set apart very important time in your life to pray to him and to seek him and to beg him and to follow hard after him and to crave him and to sing about him and to remember him and to meditate upon him if you have him stuck down if there's any leftover time I'll read my Bible tonight that is not believing that he is. Because he is worthy of so much more than that. You are telling us and him by your actions and your priorities that he's not important enough to really seek after as if you were a starving man in the desert. First, you've got to believe that he is. And we're not talking about just a mere knowledge of existence. We are talking about him, that he is. And if he is, and I used to put it this way when I was a late teenager, if he is half of what the Bible describes him to be, to be he deserves everything I have. 
but he's not half of what the Bible describes him to be. He's all of what the Bible describes him to be and more because God can't describe himself any better than he did for us. But he's beyond that. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, that there is a God, present tense, right now. He is, right now. There is a God on his throne. There is a God that fills heaven and earth. And there is a God in this assembly. And there is a God in your soul, united with you by regeneration. He is. And you have to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here we have the Apostle Paul writing Christians talking about seeking God. There are different kinds of Christians. There are those Christians that truly seek a personal relationship with God. And notice the description of that. It's coming to God. It's seeking Him. But it's diligently seeking Him. This is a, an, a task, a goal, that we apply ourselves to with a lot of effort. Diligently seeking Him. Now, just ask yourself, and I know the answer, and so I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm still being merciful. I'm still being merciful to me, too. Are you seeking Him as diligently as you could? And that doesn't mean we have to sell our houses and quit our businesses and move off to some monastery. You can seek Him while you're working. You can seek Him in your house. You can seek Him with your family. But are you diligently seeking Him? Look at the words. Diligently seeking Him. He is a rewarder. And what will the reward be? A bigger house, a better job, more children? A relationship with God. A personal relationship with God. Walking with God. Soul fatness. Soul marrow. Soul satisfaction. God is walking with you. In the New Testament. New Testament. Second generation Christians. But look where that verse is stuck. I find that very, very interesting that Hebrews 11.6 is jammed right up next to Hebrews 11.5 so that the final words of 11.5 were Enoch had this testimony, he pleased God. Anybody that reads that, not anybody, many men have read it. When I read Hebrews 11.5, I can't get to the next word to form it in my brain or mouth without saying in my soul, I want that testimony. Isn't that the way it is with you? Don't you read Hebrews 11.5? And you want that testimony? You want to walk with God? You want to be like Enoch? And so immediately you say that, and immediately he tells us. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For that person that's coming to God to walk with him and to know him like Enoch must believe that he is as he is and must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you will come to God and seek him, I promise you on the authority of the word of God that he will reward you with his presence. You say, but I've been praying for the last five minutes and I don't feel his presence yet. Keep praying. I promise you on the authority of the word of God, he will come to you in a personal relationship by this verse. I believe this verse as much as any verse in the whole Bible. We all claim to believe in creation. 
based on a few verses. And we can't prove it any other way than to believe the Bible. I believe this the very same way, by faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I hope that your faith is being increased right now by the way I'm stating this, that if you want to walk with God, you can do it. You need to come to Him, and you need to seek Him. But you need to seek Him diligently. Put some effort into it. Make it a priority. And He'll reward you. And that reward is precious and sweet and glorious and wonderful. And when He comes... To the souls that don't know what I'm talking about, I'm speaking a foreign language. And if you've put him down low on your list of priorities, and if you haven't sought him very diligently, and if you've never tasted of his personal presence, you don't know what I'm talking about. And so you look at me like I'm some madman or some man who thinks that he can get a whole congregation stirred up with his own enthusiasm, and I can't, because I cannot do for you what you have to do for yourself in this text. Amen. And if I could, I'm going to tell you what I would do. I would do it for every one of you. I have never felt so helpless and hopeless in my entire life. I always, I always believed that I could do anything that I put my mind to. didn't always put my mind to what I should, but I believed I could do whatever I put my mind to. And my mind is for all of you to be walking with God, but I can't do it for you. There it is. By faith, Noah. What do we know about Noah? The Lord looked down from heaven and saw that the earth was so evil. And he goes on and describes how the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually from their youth. But Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6, next chapter, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord and Noah were so close that God said, I'll take care of your family too. Do you hear that, women? You really love your children? So many of you are so concerned about their homework. Incredible. They'll never use it again. They'll never remember it. They'll never need it. And it will never profit them. Let me tell you something that will profit them. Help your children walk with God by first walking with God yourself. If a person were to really get a grip of this, they can save their family. And I don't mean save their family from poverty. Give us poverty if we can walk with God. Who cares what job you have if you're walking with God? I mean, really. What if you come home with McDonald's French fry grease spattered all over your face, hair, in your lungs, and on your clothes, but you're walking with God? Who cares? Do you know what doesn't tell us what Enoch did for a profession? Why in the world did it leave that out? What subdivision did Enoch live in? What did he drive? What had he moved up to in the way of transportation? I mean, was it a beamer? Do you know all it tells us? And do you know what? We don't care about anything else about Enoch. We just know that's a man I'd like to be like. Amen. There's lots of other examples in the Bible, brethren. Not lots of other examples, a few. I wanted you to see Enoch, and I wanted you to hear about Noah. It says after that, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The next verse says, and Noah 
was a just man, perfect in his generations. And you know what his generation was like? Horrible. You say the world's pretty bad right now. God destroyed the whole earth with a flood. It must have been pretty bad. And it says Noah walked with God. Yep. Enoch, Noah, Hebrews 11.5, Hebrews 11.7. And what's in between? How to walk with God like Enoch and Noah. Isn't that neat? Amen. The Lord did that. I didn't do it. I'm just thankful that he let me see it. I know I've always read the fifth verse and wanted to know what the answer was, and there it is in verse 6. Very plain. Come to God, but we've got to do it diligently, brethren. This is an effort that we need to apply ourselves to. He's not going to do it for us. He will save us by himself, and he has. He elected us, justified us, regenerated us, and he'll glorify us one day by himself without your help and cooperation. But he wants some sons and daughters that will be special sons and daughters. Don't we all see that in families? Yep. There are some children that love their parents more than the others. And what delight and pleasure that brings to the parents' souls yep. in the ones that delight in them. So it is with God. He wants sons and daughters that crave him and that want a personal relationship with him that is so close that it can be called walking with God like Enoch did. I want to I keep this manageable. I studied the life of Abraham this past week. I can't, I can't take you to all the passages. Abraham starts in Genesis 12 and runs to about Genesis 21. Abraham, it doesn't say Abraham walked with God, but Abraham walked with God. God appeared to him all the time. It doesn't matter what Abraham was doing, the Lord would appear to him. And as soon as the Lord would appear to him, Abraham would build an altar to the Lord because the Lord had appeared to him. And the Lord would appear to him in a vision. The Lord would appear to him as a man at the doorway of his tent. And he'd sit down and have a meal with the Lord. Can you imagine that? Sitting in the doorway of your tent in the heat of the day, and all of a sudden you look, wait, where'd those three men come from? And he, hey, and Abraham walked with the Lord. He didn't have to go out and say, who are you? He ran up to those men and said, come on in. Let me go get something to eat. And he ran out back, killed himself. They killed goats fast in those days. And he said, Sarah, you get busy and fix a meal. The Lord's here. Can you believe that? That is walking with God. And I find it amazing that he didn't have to ask who it was. And you know what? He didn't fall down on his face in fear because he walked with God. He ran. (laughs) Got to read it. There's chapter after chapter. The Lord appears to him and tells him to take Isaac up. When a man's walking with God, can a man handle a temptation like that? Have any of us, including me, had a temptation that severe? No. But when a man is walking with God... He can handle temptations like that. And when did he rise up? Early. Early in the morning and saddled his ass and took Isaac up there to slay him. And he raised the knife and would he have done it? Absolutely he would have done it because he walked with God and knew that God could raise him from the dead. Then the Lord calls out to him and tells him. And we read about it in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, James 2 where it says that that was counted to Abraham for righteousness because he walked with God and he did everything in such a glorious way. Yeah, he made a few, he laughed at God. He laughed at God when God said, Sarah's going to give you that promised son I've told you you're going to have. But he didn't laugh for long. The Bible tells us he didn't laugh for long. Romans chapter 4, a great man. Turn to Exodus 33. 
I'll turn you to Exodus instead of to Genesis because in Exodus I have one chapter and if I turn you to Genesis, I've got about 12 I'd like to read to you. But Exodus chapter 33. And I've taken you here before, I believe. I do so much in private and with my family that I can't remember what I've done sometimes for you and for others. But this is a good one. The Lord in the first part of Exodus 33, has told the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people. I'm not going to go with you. I'll send an angel, and the angel will drive out the Canaanites before you. Now, if you heard that message from the Lord, what would you say? Well, the people got very depressed, and they didn't want to do anything because the Lord wasn't going to be with them. Listen, this is in the first four verses of Exodus 33. If the Lord said, I'll send my angel, is that good enough for you? Now, we're talking about men that walk with God. That is not good enough. Let me take that a step further. A pastor in any church, any pastor in any church in the history of the world can never compare himself to an angel of God, although God calls them angels. But do you know that there are people that go to certain churches and stay there because the pastor will go with them? Why, he was there when they were born. And he was there when they were confirmed. And he was there when they were baptized. And he was there when they were married. And he was there when they had their first children. And he'll be there when they die. And they put their confidence in a man being there. Forget it. You should start murmuring and complaining right now. If you have any thoughts like that. What you want is the Lord with you. Not an angel. Not a pastor. Not a spouse. Women, I'm talking about a relationship with God that supersedes the relationship with your spouse, not in authority, not in outward priority, but in your soul, you should walk with God and love him. To think of finding consolation and comfort through this life and when we face death from a spouse is pretty weak. That's pretty pitiful. And I'm not trying to speak critically of marriage but it's nothing like walking with God. How much do you know about Noah's wife? Nothing. Because that didn't matter. What counted was Noah walked with God. That's what ought to count for us. In Exodus 33, God told those children of Israel in verses 5 and 6 to take all their ornaments off and to quit looking so pretty because things weren't pretty because they were an ugly people. They stripped all their ornaments off and they were terrified. And Moses took the tabernacle and set it way outside the camp, way far away. And and look in the middle of of verse 7 where you have the period. Exodus 33, 7, And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. That's where we want to go. Moses put it way out there to see if there were any that really wanted to seek the Lord, and the ones that really wanted to seek the Lord got up and went out there. And then Moses went up, and the whole nation stands in the doorway of their tents and watches Moses as he goes out there to the tabernacle. And verse 9 tells us it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Now that's walking with God. The Lord came and talked with Moses. 
And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, and that is walking with God. And he turned again into the camp. Does this get you excited? Yes. Do I have any brothers that want to be a Joshua? Amen. Moses turned back into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Where had he just been? With God. He had just heard God talking with Moses. And he was not, Moses may go back into the camp, Joshua was going to stay there. Joshua may have stopped the sun with the Lord's blessing, but I want to tell you something about Joshua. I get more excited reading this about Joshua than I do the sun standing still. Because Joshua wanted to be with the Lord. He had just heard God speaking to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Amen. And he wanted to be there. Isn't that glorious? Amen. Are there any Joshuas here this morning? Amen. Are there any that want to be like Enoch, that want to be like Joshua? Do you remember that covenant that Asa made with the nation of Israel? Can't turn there. It's, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 15. Remember that prophet came out after they had defeated one million Ethiopians and said, Asa, all Israel, Judah, if you'll seek the Lord, he'll be found of you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. Remember how Asa heard those words and got serious? They made a covenant. The whole nation made a covenant that said, if any man wouldn't seek the Lord, he's to be put to death. That's a serious walking after God or seeking after God. And do you know what it says as we get toward the end of that chapter? And he was found of them. It says that. A whole nation. He was found of a whole nation. We had a time in Israel's history where the whole nation walked with God. Those are some examples. What is it to walk with God? Walking with God is that personal, friendly, intimate, private life of fellowship with God. It's personal. It means it's you and him. It's private. It's you and him at home. It's intimate. It's close. He knows the details of your life and you tell him, you confess them, and you want to know more about him and his perfections. It's friendly because you know he loves you and you love him. We just saw it with Moses, friend. As a man speaks to his friend, God speaking to Moses. This is the same God that destroyed the earth with the flood. Abraham is called the friend of God several times in the Bible. Look at John 14. John 14. I think that we often, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, we read about an Abraham, an Enoch, a Noah, a Joshua, and we say that's the Old Testament. I believe that the Old Testament was ridiculously inferior, pitiful, barren, compared to the New Testament. And what book of the Bible teaches me that? About 50 times over. 
the book of Hebrews, that the Old Testament was pitiful and barren compared to the New Testament. The New Covenant is far better than the Old Covenant. Over and over and over and over, the Apostle Paul belabors that point. But in, in John chapter 14, and we will be learning all of these verses, but I just want to show you that there is a New Testament walking with God. John chapter 14, let's look at verse 21. Jesus is speaking. He is about to depart this earth. This is a day before the Garden of Gethsemane. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, wait a minute. God's going to manifest himself to us in the New Testament? And see, there was an unbeliever there just like we, just like us. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Amen. Now that's the New Testament, brethren. Those were some weak, pitiful creatures called disciples that we've re- we get to read about their failures in the Gospels, their lack of faith. How many times did he say, O ye of little faith? But they had enough. And the Lord here promises them, the Lord Jesus Christ, their hearts were troubled. You read the first verse, let not your hearts be troubled, because he had just said, I'm going away. And so their hearts got troubled because they loved his presence. But he said, it's expedient for you that I go away because I'm going to come back to you in a better form by the Comforter with a capital C who is the Holy Spirit. And by that Spirit, the Father and I, divine and human natures of Jesus Christ, (laughs) by His Spirit, will be with you, will abide with you. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. He's trying to comfort these disciples. I will not leave you comfortless. Read me the next words. I will come to you. Lord, grant that these... I pray these words will mean something to you. I will come to you. Amen. He that cometh to God will be rewarded. And what is that reward? I will come to you. Amen. Remember Isaiah 58, verse 9? Yep. When we prepare our hearts right for a solemn assembly, the Lord says, Here I am. Here Jesus says, I will come to you. Look at chapter 15, verse 13. What kind of a relationship will he have when he comes? John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. They were his servants. 
Their attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ was supposed to be, we have done that which was our duty to do. We are unprofitable servants. But he said, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Because everything the Father's told me, I've told you. That is walking with God, is having that personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Comforter in and with you. He says he'll abide with us and he will abide in us. In 1 John chapter 1, it's talked, it's called fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, walking with God. It is a relationship with God that exceeds any pain or pleasure that this world has to offer. How about pain? If you are walking with God and his presence is with you, you can endure anything. You can be singing hymns at midnight in a jail cell That's right. with Paul and Silas, Acts 16. You can be so frustrated as Asaph was in Psalm 73 and still say the words, Whom have I in heaven or on earth but thee? There's no pain that can hurt you. Because the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to die and your walk to get better. Because then you'll be with him in person. How about pleasure? I read to you this morning when I first opened the service, Habakkuk 3.17, where it says, the Lord's, given me, the Lord's my strength, the Lord's the joy of my life. He's the God of my salvation. But the verse before that was six descriptions of total economic collapse. Total economic collapse. You've never seen that ever, any of you. Total disaster economically. Habakkuk 3.17, and the very next verse is, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God, the joy of my the God of my salvation. He is my joy. He's my strength. He'll make my feet like Heinz feet in total economic failure. Because it doesn't matter. You're walking with God. What isn't it? What isn't walking with God? It's not hearing what I'm saying this morning. That isn't walking with God. It's not believing what I'm saying this morning. It's not saying you're going to do what I'm saying this morning. It's not praying at mealtime. It's not going to church, reading your Bible, or loving doctrine. It's all of those things after seeking Him personally in private by keeping His commandments and by faith believing that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It is praying like the psalmist and begging God for a personal relationship with Him, for God to come unto Him. Remember last week we read Psalm 101. Remember in that, that second verse, I think it was the second verse of Psalm 101, I will behave myself in a perfect way within my house, and the, the claims the psalmist was making, and right there in the middle of that second verse, it said, Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? Amen. It's that. It's narrowing into the middle of that verse and not just glossing over it and realizing that's the goal, to have that personal relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It is not hearing me, believing me, saying that you believe it, saying that you're going to do it. It's going out of here and doing it. 
And it's starting right now. You start right now by telling the Lord, I want to walk with you. I want that personal relationship with you. I baptize ten of you. Don't be content with hearing me. I know I look like this hot, worked-up preacher, but that doesn't count. And don't just believe it. And don't just say that would be pretty neat to walk with God like Enoch. You've got to go diligently seek him. And if you diligently seek him, that's a New Testament verse. Doesn't that excite you? That is not stuck way over there in the Psalms. That is Hebrews 11.6. If you diligently seek him, Jesus would say to you, and I represent a man today who stands in a good garment cast about his paps, with his hair as white as snow and his eyes as flames of fire and a two-edged sword proceeding out of his mouth and his feet as burning brass. And if you were to see him, you would fall at his feet as dead. I represent him. He says, I will come to you. Amen. And he will be your Lord Jesus Christ and your friend. But you've got to go seek him. How do we get it? Do you know what? This is so simple. It's a choice that you want it. You know, I, sure, I could preach for three weeks. Let's have a three-week series, How to Walk with God. But that isn't the key. The key is who's going to repent and humble themselves and seek it. Because if you seek it, he'll come to you. Amen. You say, but shouldn't you help me a little more? Why don't you make the effort of going to God in private with a heart that has been stripped of everything else you love and saying, Lord, I want you and I want you alone. I'll tell you something. He will be there. It's because we don't do that that we don't have him walking with us. It's not me giving you a three-sermon series on how to walk with God. It's you giving yourself a three-second rebuke and humbling yourself to choose to walk with him. We need to alter our priorities. We go to work, we work hard, we play hard, and we make it to church every Sunday, and we think we're pretty good Christians. Well, I guess that would leave us a pretty good church. And I guess that if we really analyzed it in the light of God's Word, that's a stinking mess. Amen. Have we been there and done that before? Amen. That is not what we want. That is nauseating. That is sickening. We want to go beyond that. We need to alter our priorities. What's the most important priority to you in your life? I can tell you what mine is, and I'm not ashamed to say it, and I'm not arrogant to tell you. It's to walk with God, period. Amen. There's no parentheses there saying, but, except, none. I want that with my whole heart, my whole desire, but that isn't where I quit. I can't quit there. Given my nature, I wouldn't mind quitting there. Because I would just keep seeking him personally. But I want you to walk with him. Every one of you. Right down to our youngest member. To walk with God. When you have free... What do you work for? To get ahead? The only getting ahead there is is walking with God better today than yesterday. So you ought to work... To get what do you what do you work hard for so that I can have time to play? How about have time to 
Go seek God. You say, man, you are just, you're talking like a monk. You turn this church into a bunch of little monasteries at our various addresses. Call it what you wish. If, if they do that, then maybe we ought to be a monastery. All I know is we ought to be walking after God. And when you get off work, instead of worrying about playing, it ought to be seeking God. And if you tell me it doesn't sound very exciting, it's because you're in the flesh. Shame on you. Repent. Amen. Because in the flesh it to see God and to know Him and to have Him talk to you and to know that you are accepted with Him and He is your friend and He loves you and He'll be with you and protect you and prosper your way, whatever you do. That's true. Amen. What gets better than that? Nothing. Then you go grab your wife and you're a different man. You grab your children and you're a different man. So how do you get it? Want it. And ask for it. Yes, I could sure I could take you to I could take you to fifty Bible references. Ask for it. Show them that, tell them that you want it. Make it the priority in your life. He will come to you. I gotta turn you to James chapter four. James chapter four. Look at this text. You say, this is in the New Testament. You bet it's in the New Testament. James 4, who wants to walk with God like Enoch? How young can you be to walk with God? About five years old? How about a little Samuel? Oh, amen. Samuel? Did he walk with God? How did Eli get his message from a from a boy that walked with God better than Eli did, who was the high priest of Israel. John the Baptist was walking with God from his mother's womb. Look at James 4. Brethren, follow with me. Verse 4, James 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. That is not literal. He's He's writing the 12 tribes scattered abroad. James is writing all the converted Jews throughout the earth. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. This is not literal. It's spiritual. What is the adultery they're committing? Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. When a man's wife makes friends with another man, intimate friendship, he becomes the that creates enmity. That's adultery. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Now, how can you walk with God when you're at enmity with God and you're at enmity with God because you become a friend of the world? Right. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God because you're a spiritual adulterer. You've been unfaithful. You have great you have allowed something else to come in and steal some of your affections away from him. He calls you and you know this language is Ezekiel. The book of ever read Ezekiel? It's filled with language like this. And everyone thinks that's just Old Testament prophets, but look at James cut loose on the congregations of converted saints in the year 60 AD after our Lord went to heaven. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, you have been unfaithful to me because you've become a friend of the world. We need to be the enemies of the world. And in seeking God, we will be their enemies. But make it a conscious effort 
to give him all of your love. He knows the difference. He knows when you love exercise. He knows when you love sports, games, your hobbies, and all of your leisure activities. You may find some time for your leisure activities, but seek him first. Then you can have your leisure activities walking with God. They're better that way. Instead, if you're a child of God, you'll have your leisure activities, and all the time there should be a still small voice inside your soul saying, you haven't spent any time with me. You haven't spent any time with me. Then your leisure activities are (laughs) pretty bad. But if you seek him first, then your leisure activities are awesome. Because You know what? I can show you in the Bible that, le- that Jesus took time for leisure. Oh, but if he's walking with you, leisure times are awesome. You know, people talk about going out and smelling the roses. You want to smell the roses in the flesh? You want to smell the roses with the Lord walking beside you? Amen. When you go out at night, do you want to go out and walk at night in the flesh? Do you want to go out and walk at night when the Lord's walking beside you and you look up? And you know his presence is there. There and here. Everywhere. And he's talking to you about, what do you think of that? Say, man, it's awesome. (laughs) That's leisure time. You come, you know, that's leisure time. You come home spiritually refreshed. Usually if you're in the flesh or you're a carnal Christian, you entertain yourself with leisure time and you come home spiritually polluted. James 4, 4. Then in verse 5 he says, Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain? Did the Bible waste its time and tell a lie to say that the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? No, it's the, that's the truth. Our spirit, our natural man, loves, lusts to envy. But he, God is able to give more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Here's what we ought to do. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Humble yourselves down to... What does it mean to submit? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Doesn't every wife know that? Doesn't every man know that? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Isn't that submission? Yes. Come on, everybody knows that. Let's help give the sense of the words so that we understand it. Let's not just gloss, run over the words and hear the sound, but not know what they mean. What did Jesus say? If you want Jesus to say, I will come to you, keep my commandments. What does this mean? Submit yourself to God. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you will say no to the devil, and you all know where the devil comes after you first, second, and third, you know what he uses in your life. If you will in those ways, in those areas say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm walking with God. I'm going to walk with God. You say you sound like one of those charismatic TV preachers. I don't care. Maybe you ought to watch them once in a while. But when the devil has three areas in your life that he has power over you, tell him in those areas, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that anymore. And we all know what they are. I'm walking with God. Submit yourself to God. God, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Devil, I'm not going to do those things anymore. Do you know what the Bible tells you? A little lonely child of God, let's call it a lamb. The devil will flee. The word of God says that the devil will flee, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. This is New Testament. This is like Moses saying, I've put the tabernacle out here outside the camp. And if you want to walk with God or be with God or seek God, then you need to go out there outside the camp to that tabernacle. But you know what? James is telling us that right here. 
in the New Testament in 60 AD to a generation of second, second generation Christians. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. What should you do if you're not in the state to do that? If you're looking at it and it looks horrible and pitiful, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What springs up in your heart? Is there any hate in your heart? Any resentment? Any discontentment? Any bitterness? Any grudge? Any covetousness? What's in your heart? Purify it. Repent. Confess. Forsake. What, what have your hands been doing? What have you been wasting your time with? Get it out of your life. Blow it out. Look at his words. He doesn't waste any time, does he? Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. There is a time for this. And it is a time for this when you are not walking with God like you should. Get afflicted. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. The laughter of our generation is sickening and nauseating, especially to God and second to me. Because they're laughing and jesting and filled with their carnal joy while they're not walking with Him. And if you're happy when you're not walking with God, it is a horrible testimony about your life, and you will likely think about it for all eternity in a place of torment. If you can be happy and joyful and laughing, not walking with God. And I am not talking about walking with God by coming to this assembly, praying before meals, and reading your Bible and loving the doctrine. I'm talking about walking with God, having a personal relationship with Him, whereby you are instantly grieved when you sin. You want to confess that sin right away so that you don't grieve Him, and you continue on in the power of the Lord Himself, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. First John 1, 7. <clears throat> be afflicted and mourn and weep. That's what we ought to be doing. Those of you who know that you haven't been walking with God, be afflict yourselves, mourn, and weep because you're in a sad state of affairs. Be turned to mourning and let your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Amen. Here's a father to a son. Listen to these words. And thou, Solomon, my son, Know thou the God of thy father. Well, don't you think Solomon had gone to church with his dad for years? Yeah, now he was 40. Know him. Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. That is good fatherly advice. And I'm your father this morning in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you he knows all the thoughts and intents of the heart and all the imaginations of the mind. And he knows if what I'm saying is finding a lodging place, and there's a desire there in a willing mind. That's what it said. If thou seek him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, a perfect heart is one that has one priority. 
he'll be found. First Chronicles 28 and verse 9. You say, will it happen instantly? It may not happen instantly. Keep on seeking. How do I keep it? When you sin, confess that sin immediately. If you're walking in a friendly, personal relationship with God, when you sin, aren't you going to worry about that, that you've just offended God? You've hurt his feelings? You say, well, that's, that's degrading to God to say you hurt his feelings. Well, does the word grieve him sound like you hurt his feelings? That's Ephesians 4.30. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And we quench him when we sin, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Those of you who've walked with God and you've had those moments where you're fat, I mean, you're fat, you're just rejoicing in the Lord, and yes, you want to dance. And the next day, you're not that way. And you look back and say, I was that way yesterday. Why am I not that way today? Let me tell you what happens. If we, you're going for a walk. You're walking with the Lord. Well, you have just done something to offend him. He's now quiet. This is so simple. But are we going to do it? It's just like two people walking around the block. You have done something to offend him. He's grieved. So he's quieter than he was. Doesn't every husband and wife in here know exactly what I'm talking about? It takes you about five seconds to figure out that your partner's offended because you've done something. If we get sensitive and make this the priority in our life, you'll know that you've done it to the Lord. And he'll help you know it. But all of a sudden, you'll know that your joy has just been reduced. And that pleasure that was there in the car on your way, on your vacation, you all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because someone said something or did something, and all of a sudden there's an, the glorious edge is taken off. It is with the Lord. Mm-hmm. If at that moment you say, I'm not going to reconcile, and you know you do it with your spouse, you say, I'm not going to humble myself and ask her what's wrong, the little baby, or he's the little baby, or whatever the case might be, she can apologize for it. He can apologize for it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go out of my way to straighten this thing out. It's their fault. They should do it. And all of a sudden, you've made your first decision that you like. You like the strained relationship. And so it goes a little bit further. And then something else happens, and pretty soon, you're at odds with each other. And it is with the Lord. If when you know that you have sinned and offended him, you don't confess it, and he's grieved, and all of a sudden you don't feel his presence, you better be looking around and figuring... And if you can't figure it out, it's very simple. He makes it so easy. Drop to your knees and tell him that you know that you do not have his presence and his joy like you want it. And that if he will show you that you have done something wrong, you will confess it and turn from it and forsake it with all your heart. And everything that you can think of that you confess and forsake right now, he will come to you. Amen. That's how you keep it. The Lord might hide for a while. I don't, I don't have time to get into human relationships, courting, dating, seducing, whatever. But if you go read in the Song of Solomon, you will find that lovers sometimes hide themselves from their lovers as a means of seduction and as a means of greater pleasure. And I, I'm going to leave it right there. 
God will sometimes withdraw his presence a little bit from you to see one thing. Will you come after him? Has a woman ever withdrawn herself from a man in the hope, often vain, I'm sorry, ladies, in the hope that her husband will recognize it emotionally and come after her? Ever done that? Don't nod your heads. You don't have to tell me. The Lord will withdraw himself sometimes to see if we will pursue him. And if you will pursue him by faith, because at that time you don't have the joy you had when he was there fully. So you do it by faith. That's what Hebrews eleven six was all about. And if you ever read the Psalms, read, start reading the Psalms from 1 to 150, you will find the psalmist so many times, how long hast thou forsaken me? How long will I have to wait? But guess what? He didn't wait long because David walked with God. And David was a man after God's own heart because he always cried for it when it went away. So he always got it back. It's those of us, when he leaves, we, we reason like this. And I want to tell you, it's not from above, it's from beneath. Well, that walking with God all, wasn't all that it was supposed to be anyway. The pastor just gets overly excited. That's ridiculous. You can't, we're in the earth now. God's in heaven you can't have peace and joy like that except for momentary momentary bursts of enthusiasm. That's just ridiculous. Don't worry about it. You're a good Christian. You were there at church on Sunday. You read your Bible this morning, and you prayed before breakfast. That's from hell. That's your old nature trying to comfort you in not walking with God. Drop to your knees and beg him for it. And it may not come right then. Drop to your knees an hour later. Whenever you can get away. And when you can't get away, drop to your knees anyway. Thank God for my father. This past Wednesday night, we had our Crosby men's prayer meeting. And he brought up uh, Nehemiah. And how he was before the king, ready to lose his life. And he prayed right there. You can pray anywhere. Lord, don't leave me. Don't leave me. You say that sounds almost personal. Thank you for paying attention this morning. The Lord would say, my ear is not stopped up that it cannot hear. My arm is not shortened that it cannot save. But your sins have separated between you and me. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. And if we get those out of the way, you can get it back. He can restore your soul. Why would the psalmist write in, in Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul? Do you know how many times David gone through that? I believe many times, because I believe every time David sinned, he repented. When Nathan came to him, how much reasoning was there? David knew he had had nine months of dry loneliness. He repented immediately, and God blessed him again. When Jesus Christ came down and looked at that church of Ephesus and said, you're doing a lot of things great, right? didn't he commend them, praise them highly? listing off all their accomplishments in the truth, in the doctrine, in their works. But you've lost your first love. How do you get that back? Do the first works. What are the first works? What are the first works in a marriage? What got two people together so that they would commit themselves to each other for the rest of their lives? It isn't what you do after you've been married 10 years. Right. Remember? Yep. You didn't, I mean, you did flowers. You did notes. 
You did surprises. You did compliments. Remember the first works? Is this hard? Nope. Don't we all know that? We know what the first works were. They were natural. But I want to tell you something. In human relations and in relationship with God of walking with him, if you do the first works, the Lord will respond by giving you the joy and the pleasure and the love to follow them. That's how you get first love back is do first works. Are there any Enoch's? Hey, fat brother. We need to walk with God. All of us. We need to teach our families to walk with God. We need to help our wives walk with God. But do you know what? It comes down to every soul. Every man shall bear his own burden. If you want to sit there and think that this is boring, that it's hot, and this is pitiful, and you don't see it, you don't want it, every man shall bear his own burden. I have stood here this day on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come to you if you want him. And he will walk with you and give you a companion for the rest of your life that death will be nothing. You will simply walk from this earth into heaven. I don't care if you're laying in a bed. He will be there with you as he puts his arms around you and loads you into a chariot of fire driven by the angels and cherubim of God, and you will be transported safely into the presence of God. No break. Keep right on walking with God. Enoch could do it for 300 years. Can we do it for the next 30? Let us stand.